Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Tuesday, December 15th. In today's news, the Electoral College makes Joe Biden's victory official. Bill Barr is stepping down as attorney general. And a group of senators agrees to an important compromise that increases the odds a stimulus bill can pass before Christmas. But first, the big idea. With a jab to a nurse's left deltoid on Monday, we entered a new phase in our war against the coronavirus. The injection to Sandra Lindsay's arm at Long Island Jewish Medical Center makes her the first American to receive the vaccine outside a clinical trial. The small dose of mRNA represents a giant leap in efforts to beat back the virus. A moonshot worth of hope amid a pandemic that has infected more than 16 million and killed more than 300,000 of our fellow Americans. Sandra dreamed her whole life, since she was a six-year-old in her home country of Jamaica, of finding a way to help others. Now 52, she oversees five units of critical care nurses who have been helping COVID patients since the worst weeks in New York this spring. Her staff worked 16-hour days, even when, at the end of their shift, pain and hurt were visible in their eyes. Reflecting back, Sandra admitted during an interview with my colleagues Ben Guarino and William Wan that she's been scared the past nine months. She said she's had to remain numb sometimes just so that she can push forward to make it through the day. Vaccines rolled out across the country Monday with doctors and nurses at hospitals just like Sandra nationwide injecting one another as part of a federal plan to prioritize frontline workers. Some said they dedicated the experience to patients they lost or to family members they've seldom seen as they battled around the clock to save others. The immunization campaign will rapidly expand in the days ahead. Some states will soon begin, including nursing homes. Federal officials leading the effort to manufacture and distribute the vaccines say they expect 20 million people to get the first of two required doses by the end of the month. That first inoculation in Queens was heavy on symbolism. Long Island Jewish Medical Center was on the front lines of the COVID fight this spring, and it's part of the Northwell Health System, which has treated more than 100,000 COVID patients. Several who were among the first to receive the vaccine, Sandra included, are black, a reflection of this virus's outside toll in communities of color. Alas, even with the injection, Sandra is not yet fully protected. The vaccine she got yesterday, developed by Pfizer with BioNTech, requires two doses to achieve the 95% effectiveness that studies have shown. The first inoculations come at a time when we're averaging more than 200,000 new cases and nearly 2,500 deaths a day. Both are record highs. Nonetheless, large segments of the population continue to ignore warnings to wear masks and avoid gatherings. A significant segment of the country also says it has no intention of getting immunized. The latest surveys show between 42% and 61% of Americans say they're willing to get vaccinated. Nearly 10 months after the UC Davis Medical Center treated the first known U.S. case of community transmission in Sacramento, that hospital in the next few hours will receive 4,875 doses of the Pfizer vaccine. That depends, of course, on a smooth delivery of the shipments, but there are no reports of delays. Walgreens, CVS, and Costco say they expect to have shots for the general public at their stores in the spring. Walmart says it's preparing its more than 5,000 stores for the vaccine, but it isn't sure when they're going to arrive. 
The Moderna vaccine is likely to gain emergency use authorization later this week. The FDA's advisory committee meeting has been scheduled for Thursday. What's amazing is that almost a year into this pandemic, we continue to learn more and more about the virus that is wreaking such havoc. It turns out that gene variants are very, very closely linked to severe coronavirus infections. A team of European scientists has studied the genomes of 2,200 critically ill COVID patients. Their results, detailed in a new journal article, provide robust support for the idea that genetic makeup plays a role in how fatal the disease is and why it hits some people so hard and others stay asymptomatic. For example, it's now clear that people with blood type A are at much higher risk of severe COVID infections and death, while those with blood type O have found that it gives them more of a protective effect, although it certainly does not make them immune. The new research points to the significance of a gene named IFNAR2, IFNAR2. It allows our cells to build a protein receptor for a potent immune molecule dubbed interferon for its ability to interfere with viral replication. This is part of the body's first response against an infection. A weak interferon response allows COVID to quickly proliferate. Researchers have pinpointed eight spots on chromosomes, five of which strongly held up under further scrutiny, where variants were far more common among people in intensive care units for COVID. This is significant because if we can pinpoint flaws in people's microscopic defenses, then our scientists just might be able to develop tailored therapeutics to patch them up, at least in theory. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Tuesday. Number one, President-elect Joe Biden achieved formal victory on Monday over President Trump, winning his 306 votes in the Electoral College and advancing one more step toward inauguration, even as diehard Trump supporters redoubled their efforts to stop the peaceful transfer of power. Electors gathered in every state and the District of Columbia for a day-long series of votes that delivered no surprises for either Trump or Biden. The proceedings harked back to more typical presidential elections and stood in contrast with the unprecedented, though fruitless, six weeks of legal and procedural chaos triggered by Trump's refusal to accept his loss. There were signs that some of the president's most ardent supporters will not abandon the cause, as groups of Republicans in six key battleground states held their own unofficial electoral college-style votes for Trump. Though major protests didn't materialize, threats of harassment and violence did cast a shadow over elector meetings in several states. But on Capitol Hill, some Republicans are now indicating a fresh willingness to move forward. Number two, just moments after Biden clinched his victory in the Electoral College with California's electors, Trump tried to change the subject by announcing that Bill Barr is leaving next week as attorney general. Barr will end a controversial tenure in which he has repeatedly used the Justice Department to aid Trump's allies, only to have Trump turn on him when he didn't announce investigations of political foes and disputed White House claims of widespread election fraud. By leaving now, Barr hopes to avoid some of the taint that will come from Trump's widely expected pardons of friends and perhaps family in the final hours of his term. Trump claimed on Twitter that his relationship with Barr is a very good one and that Barr has done an outstanding job. But in public and behind the scenes, the men's relationship had significantly soured on a number of fronts. One person said the two have barely spoken directly in months. 
One senior White House official told my colleague Josh Dossie that Barr resigned on his own accord, but another told him that Trump discussed firing Barr as recently as Friday night and that White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows has been highly critical toward Barr in front of the president on several occasions lately. The president had expressed frustration with Barr in recent days, including on Fox News Sunday, because Barr didn't leak before the election that Hunter Biden was under investigation by the Justice Department. Barr will be replaced on an acting basis by the DOJ number two official, Jeffrey Rosen. Inside and outside the Justice Department, Barr's critics were not sorry to see him go. Number three, the bipartisan group of senators trying to make something happen on coronavirus relief unveiled a $748 billion compromise package last night that includes new unemployment benefits, small business aid, and other programs that receive broad support. Simultaneously, they unveiled a second bill that includes the two provisions that are most divisive among lawmakers, liability protections for corporations and $160 billion in aid for state and local governments. Their expectation is that both of these could be excluded from a final deal in order to secure passage of the parts everyone can agree on. The second bill, the companion bill, could end up falling out of a final deal if lawmakers don't rally around it, amid broad opposition among Democrats to the liability shield and broad opposition among Republicans to local government aid. The progress in the bipartisan group's work comes as congressional leaders indicated momentum for approving something before lawmakers leave town for Christmas recess. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell sounded hopeful in a speech on the Senate floor. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi talked last night with Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin, and both sides said it went well. The bipartisan effort so far has left out another round of $1,200 stimulus checks, although the White House included a second stimulus check worth $600 in its proposal last week. Some lawmakers in the bipartisan group suggest including another round of stimulus checks in the $740 billion proposal that excludes the liability shield and local funding. Republicans, though, are pushing to keep the price tag of the bill below $1 trillion, though if state aid is left out of it, lawmakers may have enough money available to include the checks. Finally, let me close today with a story from my home state of Minnesota that helped get me in the holiday spirit. And maybe you'll feel the same way. It started the Thursday before last with an older gentleman who pulled up to the drive through window at the Dairy Queen in Brainerd during the lunch hour. He told the cashier he wanted to pay for the food of the people in the car behind him. She rang up the two orders and thought that would be the end of that. But then it kept happening. Over two and a half days, the pay-it-forward chain spanned more than 900 cars. Manager Tina Jensen told Kathy Free that they've had pay-it-forward chains at the DQ before that went for 20 cars. But this one was just mind-blowing. Heidi Bruce, 34, was one of the people who waited in line for a chance to pay it forward. Heidi says she wanted to be part of it because, as she put it, quote, the state of the world we live in right now is not always kind. There's too much anger, too much anxiety, and too much selfishness going on. So Heidi ordered three blizzards, one for herself, her friend, and her daughter, and the person in front of her paid her $12 tab. Then she paid the bill of the person behind her, which came to 14 bucks. There's nothing wrong with America that cannot be fixed by what's right with America. And that's The Daily 202 for Tuesday, December 15th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Homan. Don't forget to pay it forward. I'll talk to you tomorrow.